0: Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. It's Monday morning. Each morning I wake up before she puts on her makeup. I say a little prayer for you. I'm glad you're here. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. That's why I'm a second late. She was late getting up out the bed this morning. Um, Take your copy of God's Word. Let's go uh, this morning to Psalm 65. I've got... uh, I've got too much I want to say, and it all deals with this whole concept of the beatitude of worship. Um, you know, I miss worship right now. Yesterday morning, we were live uh, filming, or we were live in the live stream doing the worship service at 915, and uh, I so enjoyed being with uh, the praise man and the few folks that were there. Though we've not opened yet, some folks uh, slipped in and came to the 915 worship service. I want to tell you, I thank God for technology. I thank the Lord for the ability to communicate with you this way. I think it is helpful, uh, but this cannot replace worship. Uh, and as I read Psalm 65, as I read what David says here in Psalm uh, 65. I, I am more and more convinced that we cannot allow technology to take the place of gathering together to worship. Uh, let me tell you what this is like. What it's what the way I see it from my perspective. It's like you need hernia surgery. Um, you've got a hernia. It hurts. It bothers you. It's a real pain at times and it's only getting progressively worse. And somebody tells you, sit down and get a computer and watch a YouTube surgeon talk to you and show you a clip of a hernia surgery. Well, you know what? You find it informational. You find it somewhat inspirational. You find it even a little helpful. What you don't find is you don't get the surgery. The surgery hasn't happened. Uh, You may feel all these other things, but I want to tell you something, technology cannot replace the gathering of God's people together. You know, the Old Testament tells us as iron sharpens iron. If I've got an iron file over here and I've got an iron tool over here, uh, it doesn't suddenly somehow get sharp. The two have to come into contact with one another. That is an aspect that God has put into worship that is critical, and that is God's people have to come together. There is something about the gathering of the people of God together. Paul talks about Christ being the head, and we, the church, is the body. When we come together, when we gather together, there is a joining of the head and the body in a unique way. Well, David loved the whole concept of worship. He, he, he wrote a huge portion of the Psalter. Uh, when you come to Psalm 65, you come to four psalms together, 65, 66, 67, 68, that if you look in the title, it says a song. He wrote hymns. He wrote these psalms, gave them to the choir master, uh, and told him now, this is what we're to sing. Uh, He loved the temple. And the fact of the matter is, there was a deep desire in David's heart for the temple of God. He wanted to build it. Now, you have to understand that in all of David's day, the temple was nothing but a tent. Uh that it was the tabernacle. It was just a tent. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Um, he never saw the temple. It was he wanted to build it, that was the desire of his heart, but it was given to Solomon, his son, to do. And David had long passed away by the time the temple was even started. He never saw any part of the temple itself. He raised the funds for it. He collected material for it. He really loved it. In fact, listen Psalm 27 4, one thing I have uh, asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate uh, in his temple. Psalm 23 6, David closes that great psalm with these words I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, in Psalm 64 1, uh, David, uh, in uh, 61-4, David said, I request of God, let me dwell in your tent forever. That's Psalm 61-4. And then in Psalm 122-1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. All of that was just that the temple was in his mind. All he had was a tent to go to. But David loved the temple. He longed for the temple. And he loved to be in the worship of God. And here in Psalm 65, he comes and he gives us the beatitude of worship. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. In other words, God, the person uh, is blessed who comes into your courts to worship you. Now, what I want to show you is just a couple of things about um, the first four verses of Psalm 65, where he's really dealing with this whole thing of worship, and behind the worship is this approachability of God. I can approach God. Have you ever stopped to think about that, how you can approach God? Have you ever put it in this perspective? Who are people that you cannot approach? And if you could approach them, what could they really ultimately do for you? I can't approach the queen of England. I can't approach her son. I can't approach her grandson. I can't approach her great grandson. Come to think of it, I can't approach anybody in her family. And if I could approach them, what could they really do for me other than give me a story that I could tell? Um, There's nothing that they could do ultimately for me. I can't approach the president. Uh, been invited to the White House on a number of occasions have gone, but even then i, I couldn 't approach him. He had to come and approach me uh, and ultimately didn 't do anything for me uh, but God, the God of all that there is, is approachable. now, if you look at this psalm let me let me just show you something about the psalm itself. The first four verses are going to deal with with the worship of God. Now, I'm coming back to that. Verses 5 through 8 deal with the Lord universal. He is the Lord of everything, of all the earth, of all the peoples of the earth. Then you come to 9 through 13, He's the Lord providential. He's the God who provides everything. If you look in those verses, nine through 13, look at all of the personal pronouns there. You, 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 over and over and over. But he is Lord universal, he's still approachable. He's the Lord providential, but he's the Lord who's approachable. And that's what David is talking about in the first four verses, and it is a beatitude of the Old Testament. It is a blessing to worship God. That's what I want you to think about. It is a blessing to worship God. And let me show you something. Let me show you what you find in worship. First of all, you find life's great intention in worship. We have really gotten far afield of what worship is all about. Listen to what David says here. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. You find in in worship the peace of God. You find in worship what worship is really all about. Do you see what it says right here? Praise is due to you. We have so skewed worship in our day that we think worship is about us and that it is for us. Now there are great benefits. In fact, that's what I'm showing you here. There are great benefits to worship. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't get the first end of worship right, the rest of everything in worship really is worthless. And by the way, worship comes from the word worthy, something that has worth. Worship worth. Uh, If we don't get the front end of worship right, Everything else in worship is worthless. And the front end of worship is this. This is about God. It is about the praise that is due to God, uh, that, is, um, that should be given to Him, that should be ascribed to Him. We're a noisy people. I'm going to show you something in this text that's a little unusual. We're a very noisy people. We're, we're a people that have got to have something. We've got a television running all the time. We've got satellite radio going all the time. We've got earbuds now that, you know, everybody's got earbuds and they're walking and they're listening to something. We, we never take uh, quietness seriously anymore. If you're looking right there at verse 1 of this psalm, praise is due to you. The Hebrew word there literally means praise is silent. That's the word. What uh, is translated in the English Standard Version, do, is literally the word silence. I think in the uh, NASB, it may be uh, wait. It may be translated to wait. But the whole concept is this, is that part of worship is standing and being quiet before God. Um, Listen to Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Um, If you look back to Psalm 62, look back just a page or two to Psalm 62 and listen to what is said there. Uh, "For, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. There is an aspect of worship that is silent. Now, uh, David isn't saying that you come into worship and you don't have anything to say. No, what David is talking about here is this. He's talking about being so overwhelmed with the approachability of God and the greatness of God and the awe and the wonder and the majesty of God that a heart is so full that it can't even express itself. You know, I've thought, what in the world am I gonna do the first Sunday we get back as a church I thought about, you know, I thought about running around the place, high-fiving everybody. I thought about just coming in shouting. I thought about just coming in like David before the ark uh, with clothes on, Uh, dancing and singing and then yet I I, I read this this morning and I thought to myself I think I will be so overwhelmed and so moved in in the presence of God and his people that I don't know that I'll have words to express what's going on into my heart. He says praise is, is being so overwhelmed. Now how does that happen? because this is what you're thinking about. You're thinking about God. You're thinking about the Lord. You're not thinking about what did I set the roast on in the crock pot before I left the house, but every bit of me, every fiber of my being is wrapped up with who God is and the goodness of God and the greatness of God. Look at what he says, praise is silence to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Do you see that little word right there, performed? You know what it is in the Hebrew? Shalom, peace. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying when I am wrapped up in, in actual worship of God, not just all the noise, not just all the trappings, but when I am absolutely wrapped up with the thoughts of the greatness of God that I stand there unable to even express myself myself that God listen and and to you shall vows be performed to you shall vows be peaceful he's saying i will then at that moment be at peace with god god will flood me with peace God will overflow me with peace. Well, I've got to hasten to these others or we'll be here for half a day. Here we go, verse 2 now. What you're going to find in worship is confidence. Listen to this. Listen to what David calls God right here. Oh, you who hear prayer. He's speaking to God. God, you're the one who hears the prayers of people. You're the one who hears my prayer. When I'm caught up in worship, let me tell you something. It's in the midst of worship that I grow in confidence that when I pray, my God hears me. What regardless of the answer, I don't know that the answer is near as important as the fact that I understand I've come before a holy God and God hears my prayers. When I was talking about approaching like the queen of England, listen. I don't know that my calls to anybody like that uh, would ever make a difference. I'm sure that it wouldn't. But I want to tell you this. When I come before God and I pray, I have the assurance right here. God hears me. God hears my prayer. And to you shall all flesh come. Let me remind you something about David. David is not only a king and he's not only a shepherd. David was a prophet. And he was a very important... Um, a very big prophet. Uh, a lot of what David had to say prophesied the coming of the Messiah, prophesied the coming of his death. But listen, he also prophesied things that were eschatological, that dealt with the, the second coming of Christ, the fulfillment of, of the second coming of, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me tell you what he's talking about here. I'm not so sure that this isn't eschatological. I'm not so sure that a lot of Psalm 65 isn't about the millennial reign of Christ. And right here he comes and he talks about the fact that the world one day will wake up that God is the only God who hears prayer. And that there's coming a day when the whole world will turn to the Lord and will pray to him. Let me read you something out of another prophet by the name of Micah. Listen to this uh, in verse one of chapter four of the prophecy of Micah. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, talking about Jerusalem, will be established as the chief of the mountains, Mount Moriah. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it Many nations will come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. And then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. He's talking about the day in the millennial reign of Christ when the whole world will go up to Jerusalem to seek counsel and judgment and wisdom and instruction and direction from God. You know what I think all of us that are believers right now are gonna do in that day? I think we are going to be like teaching priests in the day of Nehemiah. You can get back to Nehemiah chapter eight and see this where we will go out among the people and we will teach the rest of the world the word and the wisdom of God. These days of worship for us are days of preparation. You should be learning because in that kingdom that is to come, one day you and I will have a job, every single one of us, of teaching the wisdom and the word of God. We'll be the ones that will be doing that. Well, let me get back to the text. Confidence. I have confidence in the midst of worship to pray that my prayers are heard. Number three, the third thing here is this, is that you find grace in worship. Listen to David again. When iniquities prevail against me, when sin prevails, when I look at my life and I see the sin in my life and how I go back to sin, even though I hate it, And even though I dislike it, yet it prevails against me. Listen to what he says. You atone for our transgressions. It is in worship where I come to realize God forgives my sin. He atones for it. He covers over it. He purges it from me. I've just got to hasten. I've taken too much time this morning. And then here comes the beatitude. Here comes the satisfaction the blessedness in worship. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Now, I think he's speaking nationally here. I think he's speaking of the fact that he chose the Jew. You can get back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, where uh, Moses makes that very clear. He says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. You're the fewest, but because the Lord loved you, I think he's referring to the nation here. He's saying Israel doesn't know how blessed they are. They get the temple where they can gather to worship. I don't think Christians in in the year 2000 appreciate enough the fact we get to gather together as the people of God and worship him. I don't think we appreciate it near enough. If we did, then over half the rows of our church would not be out of church on the average Sunday morning. Um, I think we lack a deep, deep appreciation of what David is talking about here, that God has saved us, redeemed us, atoned for our sins, and called us to gather together to pray with assurance that he hears our prayer And that when we worship him, he puts his peace in our hearts. He says, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Being in his house should be a delight. Being drawn by his spirit to come and worship him should absolutely bring satisfaction to our hearts. To worship God puts a satisfaction in you. In fact, it fulfills you because that's what you and I were created to do. As I read this early this morning, I thought to myself, there's an old hymn that kept coming back up into my mind. I could almost hear my dad singing it. My dad had a horrible singing voice but I could almost hear my dad singing this. There's a line, there's a stanza in that uh, old hymn that goes like this. He is with me in my trials. Best of friends of all is he. I can always count on Jesus. Can he always count on me? I am satisfied. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. Jesus but is my Savior satisfied with me? God bless.